Hey everyone and welcome to the podcast. This episode is proudly brought to you by well, anybody. We are currently looking for a sponsor for the Road to Success podcast. So if you, an organization or business you know or are involved with, might be interested in finding out some more information about sponsoring the Road to Success podcast, then please contact me online either via mattylovell.com or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram too. We can start to go over how things might work and have you or your business sponsoring the Road to Success podcast. Until then, enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Road to Success podcast. My name is Maddie Lovell. Thank you so much for joining me today as I chat with All Blacks manager, Darren Shand. Darren Shan, mate, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, you're very welcome. No well, problem. I appreciate it. We were just talking off here about how we're busy these days. So um, I know you've got a lot on, particularly this time of year. So again, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for you for you making the time today. Totally welcome. Hey, look, um, you know, I guess I want to start with a little bit with your your story and your backstory to, you know, you're now the All Blacks manager, but, um, you know, I know rugby wasn't always sort of your focus on where you were going. And in fact, your working life sort of started off in the in the outdoors. Yeah, like um, I think from as young as I can remember, I wanted to be a phys ed teacher and uh, that sort of drove me for a long time uh, and ended up in Otago at, at uni there and I think in the first year we had to do a paper on teaching and I just, I ended up at Otago Girls High and <laughs> with like the lowest stream class and I had 45 minutes with them and I couldn't get them out of the changing rooms, <laughs> so like I wasted 20 <laughs> minutes and I was like, ah, this is not, I'm not cracked up for this and at about that time I kind of discovered a bit of the outdoors and I, I went down to Queenstown a few times skiing and that sort of been, sort of, I guess lit a bit of a spark for me for that space and um yeah, so as soon as I finished at uni, I was down there. I actually probably spent most of my last two years at uni, in fact, in Queenstown. Um, and yeah, I just got into that and um, yeah, worked in rafting and bungee and skiing. And I, I learned a lot about myself, I think. Like I was, I was young and I probably didn't realise what we were actually doing and the responsibility that we held in a lot of those jobs because we were working in an environment that was pretty open, you know, like there was a lot of risk and, and back in those days, it was it was a little bit cowboyish, to be fair, and um, it was just a lot of fun. Um, but there was a couple of, particularly in rafting, there was a couple of pretty major events that happened that really, really shifted me personally. Um, you know, I had to deal with a death one day on the river, uh, which was, yeah, you know, I, I don't think I have nightmares from, but it still sits really at the front of my conscience. And you know, could we have done more? And was it in no your boat? No, it wasn't my boat, but it was yeah. a trip that I was part of. So, yeah. you know, came across it um, right in the middle of it, really, and pulled the girl out and did CPR, and and we lost her, you know, ultimately. So it was a it really resonated with me around what actually we were doing. You know, we were young men, we were we were enjoying life, and probably turn up to work some days in shape that we should never have been in charge of people paying a lot of money, you know, in, in an environment that changed it changed every day mm -hmm. and um and 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 i guess when i look back at what i do now i actually learned a lot out of those times about pressure um dealing with the pressure how you are when that happens how you cope with it how you get others to come along with you um and those skills that i learned which i probably didn't realize at the time actually helped me immeasurably in this role now you know um and I 
probably my soul still there in terms of that's where my real love and my passion is. Like I feel most alive in the hills, most alive in the rivers or in the sea. And um, it's funny that my journey ended up in a sport that while like most Kiwis I love and you know, played it when I was younger, but not to any great extent. Um, and again, that's probably been a positive too because I don't sort of feel as emotionally connected to it as perhaps the coaches are, you know. Mm, yeah. um, while I'm invested in it, I, I really want to be the best I can be in the job that I'm doing and and that's ensuring that the team can do what they need to do. So, um, yeah, they were they were interesting days and um, learned a lot about people. Um, being exposed to a whole range of nationalities was intriguing, you know, and um, taught me a lot about, you know, different cultures and um, – we have our way, don't we, in New Zealand? And it's other countries definitely, you know, it's it's quite intimidating. I remember getting, we used to get uh, busloads of Singaporeans and or Chinese-oriented people, you know, maybe from Malaysia or wherever, but they'd turn up to go for a trip on her. And that was so foreign to them, like completely out of their comfort zone. And I, I literally remember going into the tents we were handing wet to that, and they're just pulling them straight over their suits, you know, like this. <laughs> yeah. and, and here we were going to take them down a grade three river and asked them to paddle at the end of this last rapid to get to shore. And if we didn't, we were then going to go into a, a rapid where we'd all die, you know. And mm. at the time, I was like, ah, no, we're fine, you know. But you know, when you when you put the context around that and then when something does go wrong and that, it's like, wow, this is actually real, you know. This is not this is not some sort of PlayStation game. This is life and death. And, uh, yet, and, and conversely, I went and worked on Bungie where – People used to, the paradox was people would look at rafting and go, that's really safe. They'd look at bungee and go, that's really dangerous. But the reality was they were the complete antithesis of that. Like rafting was actually really dangerous because, you know, every day the river was different and yeah. who knows what floated down there that night and yeah. so forth. And it was cold. <laughs> and you can't turn it off if something goes wrong. No. Yeah, and yeah. bungee was actually really safe because it was predictable. We knew what was going to happen. As long as we knew the person's weight, we 100% guarantee what was going to happen every time. But the... F- the, the challenge of standing on the edge and personally making that decision to jump into nowhere uh, was you know, a hard decision for making uh, for people to make sometimes. And um, so it was it was actually really funny that I went from something that was actually really dangerous, and in the end I left it because I I, I didn't believe in the leadership at the time around addressing some of those concerns. You know, like we off our own back, a lot of us as guides went and further training because we wanted to learn what if this happened, what, how would we deal with that? And post that death particularly, we were just like, wow, we we could get exposed here, you know. And, um, you know, after I finished, some people were held negligent um, and you know, there was further deaths for a period there until it got regulated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was a, probably one of those good decisions I made in life that <laughs> just in the end I just – I got so scared, not for me but for the people I was taking down the river that I, I, I wasn't sure whether I could get them to the end and not in one piece um, as much as I wanted to, you know. Yeah. And that was actually quite a frightening – I actually came scared. And I don't. I actually was probably – I don't think I gave as good a trips because I was, actually became quite paranoid, yeah, you know. A bit more cautious. Yeah, and, um, and I was training all the guides and – I was really worried I was taking the fun out of it, you know. Yeah. You'd get to rapids and you actually look to avoid things because you knew the carnage if you got it wrong, you know. And But that took away some of the fun yeah. for the people. I was like, oh, I was just glad to get them off the river. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fuel, day, yeah, yeah, it was. It was like that, you know. Oh, yeah. Whereas bungee was like you couldn't take away the excitement. People just, yeah. when they did it, it was just like such a euphoric experience for them, you know. And that yeah. was kind of 
it's kind of cool because there was no risk yeah. anymore. You know, you're just standing there helping them have a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that was, great. So how old were you when when that was sort of going on at the rafting? Like, oh, like in my early twenties. Yeah, twenties. That's so, quite you know that's quite an impressive thing to pick up for someone. You know, normally like yeah. you said before early twenties, you know, you young guys, you know, like raft we guiding and everyone. All my mates, we were all like that, whether we were in rafting, skiing, mountaineering, whatever it was in those days, driving jet boats, everyone did it. You know, that was just, it wasn't, that was our normal. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like on our weekends, we'd all go out and do what the other, our mates were doing, yeah. you know, and, you know, we'd go and jump in their jet boat or we'd go and kayak or we'd go and, uh, like, paraponting had just started at that stage, so we were all trying to learn that, you know, and just the... Yeah, I look back at some of the risks we took and go, wow, like you just, this day and age, you just wouldn't even yeah, yeah. go near it, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, I think everyone probably looks back at their parts of their youth and says, I can't believe I, you know. Yeah, like my third ever flight with a parapont was off Skyline in Queenstown, and I had two practice flights off the Crown Range. And then, yeah, when you were there, by yourself. By myself, yeah. <laughs> and because my mates were running the company, you know, yeah. they said, come, we'll just go up to Skyline after work. And like, so here I am running off there, flying down into Queenstown. I had no I had no understanding of the environment, like didn't yeah. know anything about current or or lift or anything, yeah. you know, just knew I had to steer it by doing this and doing that yeah. and then I had to land down there. You know? And it's like, wow, you know, interesting days. But Yeah, I bet. And so so how did you come to from, you know, from from, from that sort of part of your life, early twenties, working that sort of adventure um, sort of sector to, to being in rugby? I always loved sport and I guess I got to with Queenstown that point where I was starting to touch 30. I had a decade there and I was like, what next, you know? Um, and I was I was really, I knew inside me that I had some potential beyond just being a worker. Like I knew I, knew I could lead and I just wasn't getting that chance. Um, part of leaving the rafting was I felt I led and didn't get heard. Um and Bungie offered me an opportunity just to get out of that, which which was good. And then um, three times I tried at Bungie to get a leadership role and didn't get it. <laughs> um, and eventually AJ himself actually offered me a role in sort of sales and marketing, which was my first venture from being a worker to actually leading, you know, or managing something different. And that was sort of my first chance and the segue for rugby for that was um, the first role I applied for in rugby was a sponsorship role at Canterbury Rugby, which sort of involved marketing and sales to some degree. So, um, yeah, just put my hand up, applied for a job that I just saw. And um, I was contemplating at that stage going back to university and doing a master's perhaps in business. But um, And I actually went through the process of trying to get into an MBA program actually got accepted at the same time I got offered, you know, this this rugby role. So um, to the professor's credit, he said, take the role because you know, I think you'll get as much from that as you would from studying again. So quite grateful to him for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, then came up to Canterbury Rugby and had that role and sort of uh, it was a sponsorship role working with a marketing manager. And um, that was sort of my first connection with the players. Um, the part of it was cold calling making sales for Canterbury Rugby. Part of it was then managing those sponsors' uh, commitments that they'd bought, so player hours and things like that. Um, part of it was managing partners that gave the team apparel. And um, and so I sort of started to build that sort of connection with the team. Not I wasn't part of management, but I had a role with the team, and um, that was in 98. 
just when the Crusaders were starting, that was the first year they won. They won. My first day at work was the semi-final of Super Rugby in 1998 when the Crusaders then made the final and won that first championship. So it was a good time to be there. Yeah. And um, things were just starting to grow. Steve Chu was the CEO and um, he interviewed me for the role and I ended up working with him through till 2000 and. 19. (laughs) So it was a long time with Thumbs of Leadership and Steve Hansen and Robbie Deans were working at Canterbury Rugby at that stage. So they were the two that sort of gave me the chance to try my hand as a manager, you know, literally said to me, how would you like to manage the Canterbury um, NPC team as it was at that stage? And I was like, well, one, I've never been a manager and I don't really know what to do. (laughs) They said, oh no, from what we've seen in the other role, you'd be fine and we'll help you through it. So that that was the foot in the door really. Yeah, and then um, so that was ninety ninety eight ninety eight, yeah, 98. and yeah. then so you went into the All Blacks in 04. Yeah, so in two oh four, the the job um, was made public. You know, they replaced. I think John Mitchell finished after that World Cup in two oh three. Graham Henry was appointed All Black coach, and they they kind of changed the job spec. And I guess managers at that stage had always kind of been functional role, you know, operational very much. And I think New Zealand Rugby decided that they wanted. Uh, more of a leadership role rather than a functional role. So, yeah, almost a general manager, I suppose. Um, and technically, the coach reporting to the manager, which is almost a, a change in that in that responsibility dynamic. So, yeah, I just applied. I didn't really give. I, I wanted to be sure actually that that I was worthy. Um, so I remember I rang one. I can't remember how many of the panelists, but certainly a couple of them, and said, "Look, what are you looking for?" Because uh, at the time. Um, there was a lot of names sort of bandied about, you know, ex All Blacks. And I was like, oh, you know, what chance do I have really against the likes of Sean Fitzpatrick or Andy Dalton or, mm, yeah. or whoever? But um, yeah, long story short, I got interviewed and got down to the last three and got told in the final interview that um, who the other candidates were because there had been a leak in the paper. And and I, I at that stage, I was like, I actually, I'd got that far and I was like, I really want this now, you know. And I thought I need to show that I'm braver than maybe they think I am. So I actually asked the panel once they confirmed who the other candidates were. Well, literally said to them, "Well, aren't you going to give me the job now? Because what you've told me was you wanted someone with experience who's worked in this environment before, understands the you know the, the dynamics of this role." Um, and you've now confirmed the other two candidates have had no experience of doing this. They might be all blacks, but you said to me that wasn't a key criteria. So, you know, have I got the job? <laughs> and then I was like... Were you sweaty oh, palms? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm a bit more than sweaty palms. I felt it like running down my back like Niagara <laughs> Falls, actually. And um, there was this sort of cold silence for a while. And, um, and I said, oh, well, I guess we're finished today. <laughs> I walked out. And um, I was sitting outside. I was in Wellington at this hotel. I was sitting in the at reception waiting for my taxi back to Christchurch. And one of the panellists walked out. And um, his name was John Graham, DJ Graham, a yeah, wonderful man, head of the Hillary Commission. I think he was chairman of that and principal of Auckland Grammar, former All Black captain, coach, and a very black and white man, a lovely man, but very black and white. You always knew where he stood with DJ. And he walked past and he winked at me, you know, yeah. <laughs> like a wink of, I, and I took it as a wink of approval because I got the job the next day, but um, it was quite a cool moment, you know. And, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, courage is important at times and you just, yeah, got to use it wisely but yeah. at the right time. So 30 yeah. seconds of courage sometimes, isn't it? It's yeah, tiny, that's right. The tiny little yeah. comment. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's always, it's probably not something I've always had to work at, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm better at it than I was. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and how, as you know, so you came on in 2004. How's the role evolved since then? Because I'd imagine, you know, like when you think back to 2004, I think the iPhone was early 2000s. Mm. You know, I can imagine that it's, it's probably, you know, I know you, now you've sort of got two different hats. You know, you've got the sort of business and operations side of it. Mm. Has that always been the way or, you know, what sort of, how's the role played out? Yeah, well, I think there's certainly a, there's clearly an operational component to it, eh? Like, the you know, team's got to get from A to B and have everything they need and that's, that hasn't changed. Um, the complexities that have, <laughs> you know, um, because I think what we've learned in terms of being successful is that everything matters. And so we ask everyone in our management group to go deep in terms of, you know, your silo of responsibility. You've got to go, like, bone deep, you know? It's not just, you don't, can't just sort of, everything has to be constantly looked at and while the outcomes are the same, the processes might have to change. And so that, that's been a big... And I think what we've also learned in that operational space is that everything impacts on performance, you know. So, again, just using that lens a lot. Um, where it's probably changed is just the, you know, we've gone from a brand that was relatively well-known to actually now truly a global sporting icon. Um, and that's just brought a whole lot more scrutiny, expectation, um, particularly in the commercial side of the game. So, and there's a a, um, a tension between commercial and performance. <laughs> uh, and so learning to live with that has been probably the most big, biggest change. You know, a business that was maybe 50 million a year is now you know, approaching 300 million a year and looking to go beyond that to half a billion a year. So that comes with the expectation, you know, a sponsors group now that's global, not national. Um, plus salaries that have gone from, you know, the average wage to you know, 100 times average wage of this country and, and social media and the influence that has on the environment and um, the the change in the type of people we have, you know, from Generation X to now millennials and the, 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 the internal focus on me and instant gratification and how does that fit within a, an ethos that's all about we, you know, and team and everything's about team and so how do you how do you have that in your culture uh, and thrive versus not, you know? Um, so, yeah, different yeah. different but the same. Yeah. 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 I bet the, the, the balance between, um, you know, commercial and performance is quite an interesting one because you sort of don't get one. You kind of need both. You know, you kind yeah. of have to – you don't get the high performance without having the money and mm. you don't get the money without having the high performance. And, yeah. I, and I guess, yeah. you know, fr from the outside looking in, is that sort of one of the elements of your job is to try and manage that, that you need to keep everyone to the point where we can, you know, pr you know at the end of the day have the results that, that are expected mm. but at the same time, you know, keep the, the commercial element of the of the operation as successful as it needs to be as well. Yeah, yeah, you're so right. It's like – it's a chicken or egg mm. <laughs> scenario perfectly in some senses. Um, and and as the bigger it gets, the more complex it gets and the bigger the impacts and the bigger the demands. And so we still, we know from a performance, we've still got to do these things in a week to get us into the cauldron where we can perform under pressure, you know, with the world watching us. Yet we are also required to deliver a whole lot of things that are contracted <laughs> yeah. you know which people are paying huge you know millions of dollars for yeah. uh, and so you know a big part of it's been how do we win-win with each other you know so how do commercial understand the performance paradigm and what's needed and then how does performance understand the commercial needs and that that's probably um, 
I like to use this analogy a lot because we get asked for stuff all the time and I always I've used this a lot a lot is that you know the people always want the world of you but if you can deliver Fiji normally they're pretty happy and <laughs> so it's it's and I've kind of used that as a a go-to in terms of when when it gets complex I'm like well, how, how can I get them Fiji because I'll actually probably be really happy with that you know and um that, that's probably I think the the other big learning is actually being involved I've had to pull myself out of the team a lot more and go into that commercial space and be be part of the process from the start so that expectations are not mixed, you know, um, and educate a lot in that space so they understand what a win-win will look like here. So, um, And it's even changing their trajectory to understand that um, that they can still actually get a really, maybe a greater benefit from the way they were thinking if we could do it this way so that we continue winning and then they win. Yeah. Um, and like I can give you an example. So we, you know, a lot, lot of, and this is not so much now because content is now the king for everybody, but prior to that, you know, having the players available to them to do things with was of real value. And so everyone wanted dinners and things. Well, you know, in a test week, players been out for dinner, socialising, it's not the best preparation when we want them to sleep and get 12 hours of sleep so that they can train properly. And even just the fact of educating around that and saying, well, look, you know, the week after this test, we actually have a buy. So if we if we gave you the players on that week for a dinner, one, they, they're not going to feel the pressure of performance. They can actually really connect and engage because they can. They've got that time. It's their downtime. And you're going to get a better player and you're probably going to have a better event, you know. So it was just just having that sort of solution hat on and trying to just find the answers really. And I think that's, for some of our partners that have been long-term, like Steinlager 25 years, Adidas 23, when you when you can build that partnership, that real sense of partnership, mm-hmm. then they stick, they stick with you because they know they yeah. get what they need, we get what we need, and it goes beyond that, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm particularly say with Adidas, for example, you know, a global company uh, developed a a relationship with the CEO um, and, you know, when I went there annually, you know, he would be upset if I didn't spend at least half an hour with him, you know, invited up to his office in, in, in National Headquarters. And, like, that was just a whole lot for me. Like, um, I, I tell you a sweet story. I remember the guy who looked after rugby was a, a Dutch guy and um, we were at, um, at their campus and we went for lunch in the, the restaurant called Three Stripes, funnily enough. And so I'm sitting facing the door and Max, who's the rugby guy, was facing me and Herbert Heiner, who's the CEO, walked into the, uh, into the cafe and there's like 3,000 staff there. It's a big place. And he walks past and he, he sort of waves and I wave back and um, then within five minutes, a bench gets pulled out beside me and Herbert sits down beside me and says, Darren, good to see you. How are you? <laughs> and Max, who's this young Dutch guy who's just like, He's so um, focused on being corporate climbing, you know, yeah, just yeah. like his face, like just to see his, his <laughs> face was just so red. You know? yeah, yeah. And, and Herbert had a chat to me for 10, 15 minutes and then, you know, went off and, yeah, good to see you. And and Max was like, you never told me that you, <laughs> that you knew Herbert. I said, well, you know, he's come to games and I've always, it's always, I've seen it as my role to host him and make sure he feels welcome. And, you know, it's a big part of the partnership. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and it was really nice mm-hmm. when Herbert finished that. You know, I had like an hour with him the last sort of few months he was there and and it felt more like a friendship, you know. And I remember seeing him like the year after I was in London just walking through the street and I ran into him and his wife, you know. Really? And, and it was like, it wasn't business, you yeah. know. And that, that's, I love that about um, his two I see now is still there, a German guy called Jimmy. And, 
you know, every time I got there, it's lunch with it's lunch or breakfast with Jimmy. You know, yeah. and we hardly even talk about sport. We just we're like friends, and I love that about that. I really get a great sense of joy about that. You know, it's more than the game, and um, and that all counts when you have to do sit around the table eh, and yeah. and yeah, talk about deals. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was taught that um, you know business is just relationships in the end. You yeah, know, like so yeah, in that I commercial agree. sense, especially if you've been with them for you know twenty three odd years. Yeah, it's a long yeah, time. It's, it's a real. It is a real tension, and and more so now. You know, it's, um, we're right in the middle of a couple of meaty deals globally, and you know, probably eighty percent of our partners now are going to be outside of New Zealand, and we only spend twenty percent of our time outside of New Zealand. So, I can really, I'm, I'm like, how, how how are we going to do this? You know, yeah. and you know, like typically uh, when we go up to Europe at the end of the year, we would have a group of players stay maybe for another three, four days and we could go and do all that. Well, we can't now because we have to book MYQ and there's only so many places and, you know, um, so then they'll go, well, how are we going to fit that in in the four weeks you're up there? And we're, and we're playing like France, we're playing Ireland, we're playing Wales, you know, the top mm. three teams in the Six Nations. <laughs> and so there's this whole performance yeah, yeah. thing, you know, and we might even be launching a new partnership up there. Well, yeah. you know, they, they want um, – they want, you know, it's their big day, you yeah, know. Yeah, for sure, yeah. And you were in the middle. And we're playing France by, that week. By both sides, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it is, it's challenging. Um, but, you know, as you said, it's relationships is, is king and you just got to make it work. Yeah, man, it's such a it's such a huge contrast from where you started. You know, like I mean, you mm. know, this the the even that single role. You know, the team. You talk about the salaries that have changed and the the you know you've turned into a, a global sports icon now, and it's um mm. and you've sort of been at the forefront of of the whole lot, I guess. And I, you know, when you look back at you know you've, you've been about seventeen years now, and you know I've got a, a list here of some of the you know the achievements that the the, all, the team have had. You know, and included the 2011-2015 World Cup wins, um, the first undefeated test season in, in 2013 you won the Tri-Nations and Rugby Championships six times the All Blacks have won three Grand Slams been Rugby World Team of the Year ten times as well as the Sports Team of the Year at the 2015 Laureus Awards do you, do you ever sit back and think like bloody hell we've done really well like, you know like is that sort of ever passed through your head no, no I don't know there's I think there's something inside me that's never satisfied and I think that's I listened to a, a, actually a podcast the other day of um, Sophie Pascoe um, and she was interviewing Willie Apiata, the VC, and she talked about her personal why, which was all, it was, it was quite sad, you know, but it was, you know, she she swims for her dad because of what happened and and I think for me, my personal why has become that I just, I can't bear that this team can't get better and so, in fact, Probably the victories in that don't mean anywhere near as much as the relationships do. And, um, you know, that when times are tough, the, the people that you went through those tough times with, they'll still be there for you. Like rugby's great at that, you know. Um, and so that, that's for me probably what, what, what those are, yeah, the, the medals don't really mean much <laughs> ultimately because. All that does is set an expectation that you can do it again. And mm -hmm. so then you've got to go through the process of, Getting ready to do that again, yeah, you know. Yeah. And actually, there's a it's, it's probably a, a weird thing that that's actually the driver, you know. Like, I just oh gosh, I, I, the success is it's almost so contagious that you you just get swept up in this world of wanting to just keep improving it and keep and, and while you know you're only one spoke in a big wheel, like you just want your spoke to be humming, you know. Yeah. So that it does happen because it's that success is so 
it's such a good buzz, you know. Addiction, like a, yeah, yeah, it is an addiction. Yeah, um, and my wife keeps telling me I'm institutionalized, you know, <laughs> into this. And, and I actually, at times when I sit back and think about it, I go, yeah, probably I am, you know. Um, and you know, one day I'll, I'll I'll step away from it, and I'll have to find something else that becomes that why. But yeah. um, and even through the adversity of it all and the ups and downs, and there are many. Um, when I th- reflect on it, that's still the driver, you know. That's just that. There's just that insatiable willingness to want to know that that we can be part of something that just keeps writing history again and again and again, you know, yeah. and um, and the impact that it has on this country. Like that's people talk about great cultures, then um, impact is, you know, like people. And I don't know if it's one moment, but one moment that really sticks in my mind is when we prepared for the 2011 World Cup. We, you know, the um, part of our bid for hosting was, you know, the stadium of four million. So as a team, we saw how do we bring that to life, you know, and so we wanted to bring people with us. And so driving, one of my enduring memories of being in this team was driving the bus in the bus that day from the Heritage Hotel to Eden Park, and we we turned off Ponsonby Road into um, Karangahapi Road, and there was p- people everywhere because the, there was a. I think they called it, you could walk from the city to the, they create a fan path, yeah, I think yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And literally the fans just came off the streets into the middle of the road and swamped the bus. And so we drove like two blocks down K Road where from the from the shops to the bus was people in black and huckers and and support. And like we had to slow us down. There was that many people, you know, we're down to 10K an hour. Just, and I, I just, well, I like it. Overwhelm me emotionally. Like I was like, wow, wow, that was impact, you know, distinctive yeah. impact. It was yeah. just like we've brought this country with us, you know, on this on this sporting trip, you know. Yeah. And um, oh, I just still gives me yeah, goosebumps yeah, yeah. now. Like me I just too, feel, yeah. I feel it, you know. Um, it was so cool, and like the victory was almost secondary, you know. Yeah. That that, that we'd just made so many people happy and got rid of so many, you know, 25 years of waiting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was cool. That's interesting. You know, I think that sort of, you know, you had a, a great term, the insatiable sort of appetite to get better. I think that that's synonymous with all people that perform at a top level, you know, or operate mm. in a high-performance environment. I think that, you know, from the people that I've sp- spoken with, um, I've had Sophie on here and, and mm. um, you know, there's – it's just that undes- uh, that burning desire to mm. to get better. And um, have you have you read um, have you heard of Simon Sinek? You yeah, probably have, yeah. yeah. Have you Have you read the Infinite Game? No, all? I haven't read it. I've heard so, him speak, but yeah, have you? Yeah. yeah. And so I was just coming across it the other day. It's quite interesting. He talks about there's you know a finite game and an infinite game, and you know a finite game is one that has a um, you know a, a very determined start and end point, and it's very much agreed on by both teams on how you win. Mm-hmm. Um, so like rugby, for example, is a finite game. Yeah. But he said that um, you know life and even business is a is an infinite game. So mm. there's actually no way to win. There doesn't mm. there isn't an end, mm. and there's no you know you can you know, obviously there's some rules you've got to you know, legally abide by. But um, you know every company sort of chooses their own different um, parameters that they mm. would consider successful, yeah. and you just you just you know keep going. The idea yeah. is not actually to um, to win anything, but to to last. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's yeah. the that's the goal of an infinite game. And you know, when you talk about what you just said there, is um, you know, for you, for yourself personally, it's it's not so much results driven on the field, but more you know the the impact and the yeah. you know creating a, a legacy which is going to far outlast yourself. Well, I think that's you know, in a 
reflect on sort of environments. They, they great ones last too. You know, they they're enduring, mm-hmm. and and that's about putting those philosophies, strategies, rules, whatever you want to call them, in place that that last the test of time. You know, we have a thing in a team called the All Blacks Way, which uh, came on the back of a lot of adversity when when we first when when I started with Sir Graham. Um, yeah, the environment wasn't good. You know, there was a lot of we didn't feel the players felt this was the most important team to play for. You know, and and, and their behaviours reflected that. <laughs> so we had to change, and the All Blacks way was was sort of formulated around that time, and and it's endured. Like we we still, it's like a a well worn piece of wood. We keep sandpapering it every now and then because it needs to be contemporary, mm-hmm. um, but it's still. Still, we still use that terminology, you know. And when you come in here, there's not a lot of rules, but this is the expectation we have, and you need to meet that bar to be part of this because we know that'll provide the success both for you personally and for this group, you know. Yeah. Um, in terms of an outcome too. So, um, yeah, it's it's. I think you you like always. One of the big thing I learned is to always. Um, pre-mortem things I don't like mortem's not a great word but it's like what's success going to look like and imagine it and then work backwards from there rather than sort of just finding your way to it and hoping you get there yeah yeah. you actually do have to imagine it you know and yeah. then there's, there's a gap between your current reality and where you want to go mm-hmm. and that that's potential that's growth that's movement yeah and that's the exciting bit because yeah. that's different you know um, but that that's the art is actually doing that and having the discipline to do that and yeah. do it regularly and keep asking that of each other and of yourself um, because, yeah, if, if you stand still, you stand still, don't you? Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and I guess in high performance, um, the margins are, you know, if you talk about that winning season, you know, the last match was against Ireland and we're behind and we, you know, one of the things I love about this group is that they never, ever give up. And they have that belief that no matter what they'll get there. And and again, I just a, a little memory of that was I sit sideline with the subs during the game, and so I sit right by the tunnel. And on that particular game, right beside me was a table with I think it was Irish TV with a guy doing sideline comments or something. And he was really getting emotionally invested in the game, like big time. You know, like it looked like first time ever. You know, Holland's going to win, and. Um, we got we scored and that I think it, it, it equal, I think it, yeah equaled maybe we were a draw I think and then we kicked the conversion yeah. to win didn't we so but it wasn't just kicked yeah no he went then, through yeah. this whole process of you know um, seeing it and I just remember hearing when when Aaron kicked it for the second time I just remember hearing a thud and, and sort of hearing his jaw hit the table you know as he just like just so devastated you know he just put all this energy and emotion into it and and to, and the Irish are wonderful it's a great credit just you know well done boy you know like. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I said, let's go and grab yourself a Guinness and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I was at that like, game, actually. Yeah. It was really lucky. It was, a, um, it was certainly an emotional rollercoaster. Uh, it was, eh? Yeah. Like one we of the were, best nights of my life afterwards, though. We weren't even in it for so long, hey? Yeah. And we just clawed our way back, clawed our way back. And, um, and, uh, and, you, and you, you talk about those, um, you know, those, the, the outcomes and the trophies. And, and I look back at stats sometimes and I, and I, I'm so proud this team's never given up in a game. Like uh, we've never, I think I look back over the 200 odd tests that I've been involved in. I think the biggest margin's been about 20 points. Yet I know every other team in the world we've put 50 on, mm-hmm. and we've never, you know, and they've they've not turned up or they've 
they've given up or but we've never you know we've never done that um even in i remember we lost to england quite badly and the whole lot of us got sick the night before but we still tried you know and we left two tries out there and we lost by 20 points but even in that we never gave up you know and that's and i don't know how you it's not something you talk about it's just i think the the environment demands it you know mm-hmm. and um people get captured in that and some of them have it innately but others get sort of caught up in it yeah. and roll with it you know and see oh gosh um you know like and we were talking about it with our leaders the other day like one thing that richie always said is you know some teams will last 60 with us some will last 70 but none will last 80 you know and that he believed that you know and so when he believed that that actually became so powerful that everyone else believed in it too yeah. you know and our challenge now is that we've without him and no disrespect to the group we've got either but there's been a few occasions in the last two years where you know we're not number one anymore <laughs> we're number three and we've been t- people have gone 80 81 82 and mm. we've now got to find the answers to that you know that problem again and that like you might I'm excited about that you know like I'm not despondent about that I'm just like wow what a great challenge again you know mm. like we've if you're at the top, there's only one place to go and it's down. But I'm like, well, no, I don't want to go too far down, you know. <laughs> I want to come back up again. So, Yeah. What is it that, um, you know, when you are at number one, which we were, I think, you know, at one stage the All Blacks, you know, became the most successful sporting team ever. Um, and you know, what is it that keeps the, you in particular or the team or, or, or both going? You know, it's... It's really easy to be hungry when you're second or mm. third or mm. fourth or fifth. You know, mm. like when you're when you're first, uh, you know, you obviously you're changing goals to be dominant, not mm. the best. Um, what keeps you from getting complacent, and what what keeps that that hunger and drive as 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 you know, strong as it needs to be? Yeah, that's a that's a, that's the best question in high performance sport to be able to know because <laughs> <laughs> then it would be easy. Yeah, and it's it's not. Um, you know, Bill Gates said success is a lousy teacher, and it is because it does. It just drives complacency, and um, it's really hard to read it. You know, um, and I think we all have different perspectives of it, but uh, we, we don't always recognise it either. Um, so like, we've always had this view: like our Nirvana is a World Cup, right? And we've got to play three weeks in a row: quarterfinal, semi-final, final if we're lucky enough, and that's different from what we play the rest of the four years, you know. And how do you do three of the biggest performances where if you lose, you go home? And whereas we play in a normal year, we lose a match, well, we might not might not cost us the Bledisloe Cup because there's four games and we just lose one. Uh, might not cost us the rugby championship because we've got enough points. But it's a, a really interesting mindset. To see how can you put three back-to-back-to-back performances together? Um, I don't think we've ever cracked it, to be fair. Um, but two things I, I do know is that, one, whatever you do in terms of performance, the next week you have to you have to have a, um, a process. It's not just about ticking a box. It's a process for a reason. Um a lot of people just think processes. Oh, I just tick the boxes and I've done the process. But actually, why did you do that process? <laughs> uh, so you've got to ask the right, right questions. Uh, the second thing, and one thing that we have found helped us a bit was in high performance. If there's a level of comfort, you get complacency. And so, how do you create uncomfortableness in an environment um, that brings 
the attention to what you need to do. Um, and one of the things that we do know is that edu- keeping people stimulated or forcing them to learn constantly um, drives that. Um, so we know in a um, in terms of getting the balance right for an athlete, it's, it's a mixture of the performance, it's a mixture of stimulation and learning, and it's a mixture of fun, and having those things working in sync is really key. Uh, but you're certainly on the back of a good one, you've got to enjoy that, but you've also then got to go, basically got to park that and start again mm. and have a rigorous process where you can create some edge, I guess is one sort of word of way of looking at it, um, to reignite that again. Um, selection's a great tool, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and and one of the great things in our environment, which I love, is that we now have players who help each other get better versus feel like they can, they are still competing for position, but in the end, the ethic is about the we, not the me, and the, t- the team usurps the individual. So, um, you know, Aaron Smith, TJ Perinara, Brad Webber trained together to improve their pass, so they all got the best pass, you know. And so, you know, you've got that healthy competition, and if one gets a chance, the other will support him. But the guy that's coming in knows that oh, I've got to perform here because, you know, yeah. all three of us could be wearing that number nine. So, I think there's a whole range of things mm. to that, but it is a um, it is the hardest question to answer, you know. Yeah. And when when you say to people bone deep preparation, that's what you need. Well, you've got to actually what does that really look like? How can we break that down? What does that mean for you? Because it's different for everybody, you know. Um, so yeah, I, 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 outside of those things, I think that whole notion of Process and structure is critical, but it's got to have purpose. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, um, I think you used to, you know, you mentioned there about being uncomfortable, and then that that really drives high performance. I think that's a real, um, you know, it's quite unique insight for people who don't operate in that that sort of idea you know particularly mm. these days you know comfort is generally what we strive for mm. you know we don't like you know people you know mm. don't like being uncomfortable and I think maybe you know from the outside looking in that's you know one of the key differences with high performers is that they they you get comfortable being uncomfortable mm. and I think that um, you know that that does drive, you know, you don't know what you're capable of unless you start trying things you're not capable mm. of. Yeah. And creating an environment where people are comfortable trying things they're not capable of with support there. Yeah. Is, um, is yeah, because I think you find, that we, we find with our athletes, they find it easy to sweat. So they can be uncomfortable sweating and they find that actually, they actually like that. That's not uncomfortable, but it is uncomfortable physically, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not uncomfortable to, to attempt that because they, Everyone's around them, they feel support and they can do it. But where it's uncomfortable is to is in the mental space. And so to challenge each other, um, to not walk past something that you think's not right. Um, that, that's the real that's where it really gets hard. And the the key to that probably that, that I've learned is that the environment's gotta be safe enough to allow that and that people don't personalize it, that it's actually it's just about us getting better and I'm no, uh, <laughs> I'm no advocate. I've, I've struggled in that for a long time. Like you know, the the depersonalization of issues has always been something I've really had to battle. And and it's only when I've been in a group of people where I feel safe that they can challenge me and I can challenge them that there is uncomfortableness because we are challenging the status quo, and that's what we need to do because that's what the team needs us to do. And to then not feel that it's my fault or <laughs> I haven't delivered in my area mm. um, is actually quite 
quite uplifting, you know, and that you can walk away and you feel, oh, that was a really good debate, but look at the outcome we've got and wow, that's great. You know, like it's, yeah. it's just so a we focus and yeah. not a me focus. Um, yeah, and, and sort of being vulnerable enough to talk about that and also not being um, personally attached to your opinion or your idea or whatever mm. it is you've done to have mm. that critical element to, I guess, look at what you've said or, you know, mm. done and be able to yeah. say, well, maybe I wasn't right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which can be very that, difficult sometimes. It can be, yeah. And ultimately someone... You know, there, there's always going to be someone who has the, the key accountability and they're going to make the call. But if, if as a group, philosophically agree that you can disagree and commit, commit becomes the key part, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that you can feel safe enough to disagree and have that opportunity to. Then um, there was a great bit of work that we've sort of used. It was a work by Patrick Lenzioni, the five dysfunctions of a team. And, and he sort of talks about, you know, great teams, are, the, the foundation of great teams is vulnerability and th that people can trust each other because only – at that point, can you then progress that to debate things, um, hold each other accountable, uh, do it with the team in mind? And um, yeah, I watched uh, a Netflix doco the other night, Brene Brown, I think her name is. Oh, yeah, yes. the, yeah, the shame, mm -hmm. what's she call herself? A shame educationalist or something. Mm -hmm. But it was all about vulnerability and just in life and where it takes you. And, and it was it's so right. Like it is to me, it's the, the that's the pillar of. Of not enlightenment, that's probably getting a bit heavy, but mm -hmm. you know, it's the pillar of opening up yeah. um, that uh, great environment for teams. That you know, there's just such that, um, and you think about it on the field, we, we need players to be able to be vulnerable because they've got to trust us, trust us everything in a structure. You know, yeah. you think about a defensive structure and who's marking who and being able to communicate to each other and just knowing that he's going to do that and that you don't have to do two jobs. Like in its simplest form, that's all you're asked to do in a rugby test is do your your job and it's this, this and this and you train it and you do it yeah. and you trust the other 14 to do their job like sounds simple <laughs> that's you know in high performance it's just about peeling the onion back and making it as simple as possible yeah, yeah. yeah. vulnerability and high performance are, are two words that have probably go together only very recently you know it's probably mm. you know it's certainly not you may, may know better but um, you know in the last sort of even sort of six or seven years, things like mindfulness and, and vulnerability and and things like that have certainly become a lot more prevalent in, 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 in probably all society, but more so in high performance, which is quite interesting because you normally wouldn't mm. put them together. No. And I, yeah, I, I think we've also learnt that pressure takes its toll on people and we've probably missed it and stats would show we have to. Mm -hmm. So... Um, and you know, in the end, we're asking people to go and do some tough stuff. You know, where every movement is judged, <laughs> and we're not all as um, we're not all as strong, you know, to, to cope with that either. Um, and yeah, we we choose to go and do that, but we've also got to have the skills to cope with being able to do that too. So um, yeah, I, I again, you know, if you talk about growth, you, you've just got to be able to accept that. Yeah, you know, I think in sport. At our, our level, you got to know who you are because there's so much outside of you that's telling you how you should be. And if if you get caught on the wrong, if you're on the wrong train track and your trajectory is that way, you're going to do things. Things aren't going to work out for you, mm -hmm. you know, because in the end, the sense of knowing yourself and who you really are and what you really stand for and why you're doing this matters. That, that's going to ultimately determine your prowess as an athlete yeah. or as a or as an administrator or a manager yeah. or whatever, a leader or coach. Um, or and so I think, doing and anything. And I think that's become the, you know, like 
so much of sports around getting the headspace right. And, you know, when I look at our environment, you know what we're, we're trying to do is to have, make players um, lead themselves and make great decisions under pressure. Um, and if you look at our game, that's what they have to do all the time. And yes, they've got to have the technical competencies and physical prowess and all that, but in the end, that defines or not the outcome. Mm-hmm. And um, the people who are best in that space mm-hmm. achieve the most. Yeah. The most. And, and there's uh, probably people that could be better at that, uh, like not as good technically, but better mm-hmm. at making totally. decisions that yeah. end up being you know, a yeah. more successful athlete or yeah. whatever that role may be. And that's that whole that debate between talent and character and yeah. um, you need both. <laughs> Where, which bucket is most full is, yeah. uh, again, is about the mixture of people. You know, As an individual athlete, you need both. In the team, you, you can be down in a little and up in another because you'll be compensated for, but you still you still need to work on both, you know. And, um, you know, like I had so much admiration for Richie and his, his path to being a great leader because he... Um, in 2007, when we when we missed out against France, I, I, my most vivid memory was him looking back to the grandstands without the answers as a captain, almost like a cry for help, you know. And and I, in that moment, I felt we'd let him down, you know. He didn't let us down. He just didn't have that those tools that day in his toolbox. And so the, the way that he went about, and the way that the group too sort of in, in, enveloped that whole idea, how do we get great players who can make great decisions under pressure. That, that was the difference in the end. And, and he he just went to the nth degree as he did with everything, you know, to make himself the best he could be. And, you know, so when when 2.11 came around and, you know, it's 8.7, like, there was, there was obviously there was some nerves, but there was a lot of confidence in his ability to manage that. And, and in 2015, he was like, he was the Jedi master at that stage, mm-hmm. you know, like he totally... You know, every time a message went out, he would already given the message. You know, he was so in tune with that, and he he was so in tune with the people around him in terms of how they were coping and um, using his other leaders to help him. And uh, it was, you know, it, it really um, made me think, and I guess for all of us in that group, how powerful that space is, and how much you need to. A lot of athletes find it easy to sweat, but they don't actually yeah. find it easy to spend time working on that aspect of their game um, and look at any game it's uh, that, I remember talking to the America's Cup boys before Bermuda about that you know all they could talk about is technology and I said yeah but what about that decision you've got to make about that shift like how does that all play out and who decides that and is that just a gut feel or you know you know like yeah. there's, there's in any element of high performance sport the, the decision making under pressure is to me it's a that's the difference, yeah. You know, um, and same in in business too. You know, yeah, it's yeah, that yeah. ability to read the situation and say the right thing at the right time and shift a, a thought process or sell an idea or whatever mm. it might be. You know, how do you develop that? Do you think you know? Like, I, mean, I guess that's the the golden question. But mm. you know, like you talked about character there, and you, you know, the ability to you know perform well under pressure to make decisions. You know, I. You know, I'm assuming that's a skill that can that can probably be developed. Yeah, well, I think um, for for, my, for me personally, it's been about knowing more about how others see me, you know, and what's my style, and um, and getting that looked at like regularly, you know, because um, 
we, we move through life and we continually have blind spots that we're not aware of. And it's only in knowing those that we can be better, you know. And I guess having that vulnerability and openness to, I'm excited by when I have that chance to be assessed because I'm like, well, there's going to be a learning here, you know. There's, I'm going to get some gold today. And um, and if it's if it's not done regularly enough, you can it can quite quickly get lost, you know, because to keep things at the front of your consciousness, it takes effort, you know. It's not if it's not a natural um, inclination, you actually have to work at it, and you have to have cues to make yourself work at it, and you have to have ask others to let you know if you're not doing it, you know. And mm-hmm. um, for me, that's how I've approached it. Um, even as simple as when we, you know we stay in hotels, or I, I most most tours I would have framed three or four words or something I want as a mindset to help me be the best me and mm-hmm. I'll just put that above my door so every day I walk out that's I just see it you know yeah. and um, and yeah, people have all you know um, all sorts of ways of doing that but that, that was one thing that I really found helped me just to frame myself every day reframe myself to okay well this is an area I've got to keep growing and you yeah. know and, and, and then with my or how am I going on that you know um, and particularly in a role where you're in operations of business, you, you get quite task focused. So it's in, in conversations, thinking I'm going to start this conversation at a relationship level before we go into the tasks. Um, one of the again, uh, talk about little wins in environments. But um, in Japan in 2019, we had um, I hired a, a Kiwi boy who was living in Japan, fluent Japanese as our interpreter, right? And took a bit of a punt on him, didn't really know him. Uh, and he was a great, you know, it was awesome. And every day at five o'clock, our group got together, our operational group, just to, you know, connect in. And um, and every every day, I try to make that different. Um, try to make the environment different, the way it was run different. And um, he emailed me after the thing. He rang. He wrote back to say, oh, I just loved the. You know, it was a real honour to, and he says, you know, the highlight for me, and I was expecting him to say, you know, the quarter final where you smashed the island or something. Mm. He said, highlight was the five o'clock meetings every day, you know. I was like, well, it really made me think about how you can, you know, if you change the paradigm, how quickly, you, how you can bring people with you, yeah. you know, and just um, in such a small way, but it's actually such a, I didn't have any idea at the time that that was working for him, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I just knew everyone turned up energised every day and, I said, I only need 10 minutes of your time every, f- but like that'll just mean that we're, you know, we're we're right on and we'll go into the next day. We'll all know our roles and we can just get on with it and we don't have to fear anything, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that will deliver. And um, it was quite, you get big learnings out of little things sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah it's very true. Mm. Um, you said before that, you know, success is a lousy teacher. Um, and, and, you know, obviously the you, know, you and the team have had some tremendous success. What have you learned from, tougher times, you know, from the thing when times when things haven't gone well. Is there any yeah. sort of lessons or, or or something that stood out to you that um, when it's been tough that, that's really made you better? Yeah, of, of the period I've been in, like 07 was incredibly tough. And in fact, I still every year go back to the report done on that campaign to, to look at the lessons. Um, and there's so many of those that were just so... Um, basic in their application that they're really easy to reflect on. Um, you know, if, again, we, we've talked a bit about edge today, but just that whole notion of adversity, you know, if an environment doesn't have adversity, it tends to stop, you know. Um, sometimes things can be going so well, you actually have to create adversity artificially because, um, 
you, you know you need it because it's yeah. going to just pull it's going to just pull the boat a bit and straighten everyone up um so um yeah i, I just i've always found that we've um we keep a lessons library yeah. you know so out of defeats we often will reflect on all of those things and we'll we'll catalog them and we'll and we'll put them into areas and we'll keep going back to those um you do find naturally people go to a different space mentally when they've had a lot particularly so I'm talking for our environment mm-hmm. where you know that expectation is mismatched because yes. we haven't delivered mm-hmm. and you actually don't have to work too hard on finding edge because it's it's like the honor of the office and the jersey provides it because of yep. the legacy and what they've created themselves in some yep. senses you know that that, that um obligation almost mm. um and the, the fine balance for us is not to make it heavy because um you don't want people to play out of fear you want them to play clear light and bright you know mm. yes reflect on but by the time you get to running on there it has to be clear has to be light and has to be bright so in order to you know for them to bring the energy mm. and and that performance level, you know. So, um, yeah. So, is there uh, anything major that stands out from you know '07 for you that you? Well, seen? the adversity was a big thing. Yeah. Uh, there was the whole notion that World Cups were different from what we normally do, you know. Mm-hmm. So, teams came to World Cups and they suddenly played above themselves, you know. Like the French turned up mm. in that match, they they um, confronted our hucker. We didn't expect that. They were dressed up in the tricolor. We didn't expect that. Um, and so people just went to a different level, mm-hmm. you know. Players that we didn't rate suddenly were world class in a game, you know. Um, so it was just that. It was as simple as that, really. Adversity yeah. and and just not not. We treated a World Cup like we treated every test. Yet, uh, if you're one percent down and they're one percent up, that's yeah. the difference. It's that it's that marginal, you know. Um, so they were some of the you know they were some of the sort of key key things that we really had to. To sort of focus on, yeah. yeah, it was um, it was tough for everyone, you know. I can imagine yeah. what it was like for for, for you guys. Yeah, no, it was um, I read um, Legacy by um James Kerr, and obviously mm-hmm. spent a bit of time with you guys, and and there's a lot in there about purpose, you know. Yeah. And you've mentioned it a few times today, and um, you know, on particularly how you know having a, a clear purpose can relate to being able to perform well. Um, what what is your purpose or the All Blacks' purpose and, and how do you try and connect players to that if that's something you, you talk about? Yeah, I think there's always been there's such a great legacy, isn't there? And, and it's about, I might have just mentioned it before, it's about connecting to that so that it drives you and doesn't undermine you. Um, you know, I know historically because we've had quite a few of the All Blacks of the 70s and 80s involved with us in management roles and it was all about, you know, creating that fear of letting the country down and, you know, carrying the weight of a nation We've tried to turn it the other way and say, how great is it to create history? You know, like we, um, in our team room in every hotel, we have an honours board, right? And the purpose of that is not so much to, um, it is to acknowledge those people, obviously, because they've all been legends, but it's also to actually connect people with the fact that this this is such a great legacy and you can you can be part of it and here's you on there, but let's add you more and more to it and mm-hmm. just build that sense of... Um, commitment to something um, like the team gets excited by the challenge of writing history or something that's never been done or world first or and so that's an important element you, you have to be a little bit careful because that does become an outcome 
focus. But mm-hmm. um, and we, we've had a really strong vision for probably ten years that was quite around that in terms of um, if you take this is not the word we use, but like if you you know the notion of goat and the greatest of all time, mm-hmm. we had that aspiration that people would say we were goat, and mm-hmm. we we could never say it about ourselves, but. Mm-hmm we could use that as a driver for us to say, well, like if I'm GOAT, if I'm, a, I'm, if I'm the greatest manager of all time, what does that look like and how do I be that? Mm-hmm. Um, now we're probably, we're working on a, a process where we try and use emotion more than outcome, you know? Um, so what's an emotion that we can really connect with that we can portray both ourselves and have others see in us as well, you know? And so, um, so it's, it's, it's Finding something that the group really connects with in a in a positive way yes. that drives drives um, drives attitude. It drives a want to be better. Yeah. Uh, it's not a, a heavy. A, a, it's heavy and it's and it's way, but it's it's empowering, you know, and it's inspiring. Yeah. Versus sort of dragging me down and thinking, creating self doubt or, yeah. or can I do it? You know. Yeah. So, in that book, he um, he talked about. I think it was from um, from Daniel H. Pinker from from the Drive book. But he talked about the more a player has to play for, the better he'll play. Mm. You know, yeah. I kind of like that. And I, I love the whole notion, and it's what I loved about Sofa was that if you can really tap into that personal why for people, and that has to has to go really deep. Like you actually to have that conversation with someone, you actually got to unpeel quite a lot of layers. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I know for a lot of our Pacifica players, you know, family and churches, everything, but. Which is, and I know that as a driver, but how, how can, can we pick that up even further? And so, like, maybe it's because, like, dad left Tonga, he had no money, he came to New Zealand, he worked five jobs so I could go to Kelston Boys on a scholarship. You know, like, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. if you can really tap into that, and, yeah. and then once you know that, that can come a real little spur. Okay, well, remember this? Yeah. Okay, when, when things aren't quite at the level, remember why you're here? Yeah. And that, that becomes, that's gold, eh? Like, yes. that's really. Like, you know, Sophie gets up every day and goes to the pool at 5.30 because she wants to make her dad proud. Like, wow, that's – I just heard that and I was like, wow, man, that's just, you know, that's amazing, you know. When you know the story, you're like, wow, that's that's so powerful, you know. And so unlocking that for us is – some people have it naturally and others you've got to unlock it in them because they don't know, you know. You just – they do – they probably do it subconsciously, you know. It's mm. just sort of finding that power within. Yeah, I wouldn't think many people can, you know, can really find something, you know, that naturally that sort of empowers them that way. Mm. And one thing I like, you know, I, I'm not sure how many years ago it was that started doing it, but you know, you see a lot of the players with, um, you know, things written on their wrists, mm. you know. Mm. And mm. and what was interesting to me is, you know, it's not they're not writing tactics or strategies mm. or plays or anything. It's mm. about that. You know what? What is it important to them? And I, mm. I assume a lot of it's family things. Yeah. Obviously, sometimes they're just initials and things. Faith, of faith yeah, you know, yeah, like. Yeah. And I guess um, you know when you talk about that why and that purpose, it's those are the things that are going to make you push yourself to those areas that you're mm. uncomfortable in. That you know, yeah, you're that that hundred first percent that you have to go to in that final moment. And allowing people to be that person too, you know, within your environment because they're all different, you know. And like we're multicultural, mm. so there's a whole lot of different belief systems and and reasons for being, you know. And mm. um, just the environment's got to allow that, you know, and it's got to recognise it too. And that and that's still a, a journey for us in terms of understanding our people really well, you know. Um, I know, you know, we've suddenly we've in the last two or three years we've got a much stronger Maori Pacific influence in the group, and 
So asking, well, when they come into the environment, does it feel like it's their home too? You know, um, mm-hmm. and and that's a you know, like I've uh, we've got a, a wonderful man working for us at New Zealand Arabia, Ronnie Clark. So Caleb's dad, mm-hmm. former All Black, and uh, I said to him a while back, I said, oh, what is it when you're Pacific Island and you walk into a room? What what? How do you feel? How do you deal with that? In modern New Zealand, he said, well, the first thing I do is I look for another brown face. And I said, okay, what do you do next? He said, then I look for something in the room that connects me with that room, you know? I was like, well, actually, that's not that hard to do. You know, like, oh, I'm thinking I'm thinking in our place, how could we do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you walk into the all-back environment as a Pacific Islander and feel you really belong? And yeah, there's some elements of it, but we could do better in that, you know? And so, again, it just... It's just one of those things that just stimulates all this. Oh, another thing we can do better, you know, mm-hmm. and and just build another more layers, more layers, and because they're a different group of, you know, they've they've got their own voice now, and you know, they they do things their way, and and that we've got to embrace that, you know, yeah, we've, yeah. Got to, we've got to understand <clears throat> that, and as a, a European, I got to, I need to understand that too. They need to understand me, and we've all got to understand each other so that we can come together as one, you know. Yeah, um, but still have our own own tendencies too so yeah it's interesting yeah it is interesting but um but very cool though i think you know obviously when when you know when that's humming everything's humming you know when people mm. feel connected to it and that's i think right. you know it's, it's very there's a lot of um you know similarities with um you know with with business as well you know mm. when people are connected and driven to a, a purpose yeah. that feels bigger than themselves yeah then um people will do a lot that's more right, than yeah. they that you belong is i remember listening to a young i was this this current younger generation I was, I was kind of really trying to figure out the why mm-hmm. and what what did they really need you know and I listened to a young kid he was 19 um, was snowboarding I think he'd broken his ankles but he was just coming back to qualify for Olympics and he had a relationship he worked one-on-one with a coach an older guy and I, I just asked him what, what what's matters the most for you you know in this relationship he said oh just that that coach is there for me you know that's all I want you <laughs> know nothing more you know and I was like, wow, that's, again, you know, it, going back to the onion analogy in terms yeah. of performance, if if that's all you have to build, well, then just focus on that, you know, yeah. and that becomes the, you know, we talk about the mission critical things versus the many important things, then that's, that's, a, that's not easy to do, but that's, yeah. at least that's one thing you can do and you can find a way to do it well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also watched the, the the documentary that was on Amazon, which I really liked, and there was one moment that sort of it was a few, few years ago now. One moment that really stood out to me, and it was um, it was a, a line out drill, and the, the ball went down to the halfback. It was Aaron Smith, and, and he passed it. And um, I can't remember if it was um, Graham Henry then or, or Steve Hansen, but he blew the whistle and said, "Stop, stop, 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 stop," and he said, "Aaron, thumbs on top of the ball." Mm do it again and mm. so they ran the whole play again and I just it was in that moment that I sort of realised that you know the All Blacks aren't great because of one specific thing you know mm. and, and there's not one thing that you have that other people don't have or one thing you know that other people don't mm. know and it was mm. the, the idea that a thousand little things are done right every mm. time yeah. you know and there's yeah. no um, there's no you know, you don't overestimate the power of those mm. small things done mm. consistently mm. every time, and um, and that sort of thumb on top of the ball has kind of become like a little bit of a, you know, a mantra. You know, mm. for me personally, mm. that that yeah. you know, like the small things actually really matter, mm. and that's what makes that's what sets people apart. That the, the little things are done every time. The, um, so Dave Brailsford, who's with Ineos Cycling in in the UK, was sort of a big role of British cycling. He had this. 
saying around you know so the aggregation of minor gains and mm-hmm. that's that, and it's all those one percenters yeah. roll them all up together and turn a snowflake into an yeah. avalanche and um and, and and even structurally that's something that we've like we know under pressure there's probably four skill sets tactically that we have to be able to nail and when it's done people wouldn't even notice it mm-hmm. you know he's run the right line he's passed at the right time and he's put that guy and he's just scored it looked like a really simple try in the corner but the the architecture of putting all that together was so many individual pieces that required great decision making, mm-hmm. great understanding of role, and then execution of a skill under high and immense pressure. You know, yeah. and and so the building of that becomes the architecture. Actually, building that process becomes you know really critical in a week, and and it's actually it's actually quite cool in a way because we play week to week. You know, you. you at the start of a week, physically, you can't perform anyway because mm-hmm. you're still recovering. But we, we use this acronym CIA, clarity, then intensity, then um, accuracy. Mm-hmm. And so we're fortunate that the way the way we play the game, we can't do anything other than get clarity at the start because yeah. we, we can't physically bring any intensity yeah, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we can bring intensity as we have bodies start to recover and then in the game, it's just about we just got to execute you know, in an accurate sort of fashion. Mm-hmm. And so just sort of having, again, it just sort of sets the tone, that structure sets the tone for how we are. And um, so you can, yeah, we put the time into those four skills. Even the players, oh, why do we have to, and it's like, yeah, well, yeah. actually, that, that's it. You know, why do we have to do that? Well, you know, that much difference, yeah. you know, your running line that much off means you've run into a big shoulder versus that you run into a oh, weak shoulder yeah. or, you know, yeah. or that, that, you know, if you'd held that space there, that kick, you would have got it versus going over. You know, there's all yeah. of that. You can just find yeah, yeah, yeah. moments in games everywhere. Yeah, know? for sure. Mm. But yeah, there's little, that, that, um, that story you talked about, what was his name, the, psych, the cycling coach? So Dave Brailsford, yeah. Yeah, and so I've read that as well. And he, he did things like he got every athlete, all their cyclists fitted to the right pillow and he got, yeah. they yeah. painted the inside of their vans white and they mm. um, they like started using all these, like so all these tiny little things that oh, were, yeah. you I next know. to no difference. But yeah. they went from like the most underperforming cycling team in the history yeah. of, of most winning to the yeah. to the most successful yeah. yeah yeah and they took you know science i think a lot of the italians sort of lived off the latino sort of method of playing riding by emotion he mm. just rode by science yeah. numbers and power and yeah <laughs> and you know and people like oh they can't keep that up but they trained it and so they did and yeah that's how they did it and i think that yeah that's a that kind of is where high performance has kind of got to now you know yeah, yeah, and it's kind of a, a, a mixture of both, isn't it? You want that emotional sort of you know yeah. connection to something, but also you need that practicality and um, mm. that sort of you know specific logic at the same time. And exactly, yeah, interesting. Hey, look, I've, um, I'm very appreciative of your time. I just want to finish up with a with a couple of things. And um, you know, firstly, is is what's you know what's next? And I don't you know maybe for you personally, or but what's on the horizon? What are you looking forward to? What are you excited about? What's on your sphere of sort of you know on the horizon for you? I've never really been one to look too far ahead, to be honest. Um, I've never had a plan. Um, I've just kind of fallen into this, uh, and then I've kind of got locked into it <laughs> and love it. Um, and I am, yeah, I am, I am certainly thinking about other things um i just don't know what they are what i do know is i've got a really broad skill set that could pretty much implant itself anywhere but i just i want to go somewhere where i feel valued and that i feel i can make a difference um it might not be sport but i I still love sport that's still my passion so um yeah it's it's a it's a really hard one to answer I, i kind of 
opportunities have always presented themselves and um, and so it's probably the next step for me is just making people aware that I'm open for an opportunity mm-hmm. really because I think everyone probably thinks I'm a closed yeah. closed shop deal at the moment but um, that that's still probably what I think next and uh, yeah I'd, this is a rapid pace eh, to live your life too and yeah. that's um, that's one thing I've been thinking about more you know like my kids have only known me doing this so it's like should I stop now and be someone else or should it's gone okay but should we keep it that way yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so but then you know the, the flip side is that I've never had to work out of an office anywhere I've been home the whole time other than when we're away you know mm-hmm. which is and we're away a bit you know I can't deny that but there's, that's presented other opportunities and freedoms that some other families might not have had you yeah. know so hopefully compensatory I hope that's what they say in time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's hard I, I'm still you know, you you feel quite energised working in a young environment like that all I the bet, time. Yeah. You know, like I'm in my fifties now, but I still, you know, it's very clear back in what ninety eight, ninety nine was still like. You know, and how I've moved from there to here, um, and still have to probably work a little harder on connecting and into that age, that, that sort of genre now. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that, that's just another challenge. So like, keep throwing them at me. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, and Does you it feel to, like work for you? Um, at times, yeah. At times it doesn't. At times it does, you know. And people only have to, you know. It's it's often that people tell you that you've got the, you know, that they'd love to do what you do, you know. So you have those pinch yourself moments and go, well, actually, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for this. And um, someone recently I spoke to sort of worked in that mental sort of growth area talked about, you know, do you ever write down what you're grateful for? I've never been really good at that, but that, that's something I've recently I've kind of. I've become more attuned to that and thinking, well, actually, yeah, this is, you know, that was pretty cool that I had that or, you know, uh, even little things, mm. little things matter in that space. So probably become a bit more sort of pragmatic about it and but a, a little bit more sort of philosophical about it. Yeah. yeah. The chance to have. Um, and I, I, yeah, I've always, I've, I've probably, I've developed a greater, uh, a greater internal steel, if you know what I mean. Um and a greater courage, I think, um, to challenge, but to do it with skill, I think that that's probably what I've learned because I've seen a lot of people do it unskillfully too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a fine line between being a bully and being um, leading someone well, you know, and, mm-hmm. and trying to uh, project an idea or a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel quite proud of, of that. Um, but, you know, as always, you know, I don't think you're ever the finished product and you know, while a, particularly an operational job with a lot of tasks, you you can you can get caught up in this perfectionist sort of way, which actually becomes overwhelming at times. You know, so I've learned that. <laughs> <laughs> I say to a lot of the lot of the operational people I work with, like, I'm happy with 95. You know, yeah. <laughs> don't drive yourself to 100 because you're just you're you're not going to get there. You know, because it's a it's an infinite and in, in no a finite environment, yeah, not yeah, a, yeah. not a infinite environment. Yeah, you know, yeah. so um, don't. Again, if we get the mission critical done, then we do know actually performance performance environments that get the mission critical done outperform those that get the many important done. Yeah, you know, that, that's science will prove that, show that. So um, that becomes the focus then. Yeah, yeah, cool. I mean, it certainly seems like you're you know you're obviously very good at your job, and you're obviously um, you know, it seems like it's a um, 
you know, it still excites you every day and you've got that real drive mm. to be better and you're in an environment that really sort of encapsulates that and allows you to, to push forward. Um, what's the best thing you've watched, read or, or learned in the last year or so? You know, is there any, anything that oh. you obviously do a lot of learning? Well, I love that, that Renee Brown oh, yeah. I watched the other night. That was like that. I was, she held me for 80 minutes. Really? Yeah. yeah. Honestly, like I could not, The her storytelling, her... Um, the words that she was speaking, the the ideas that she was sharing, I, like it just really, it was almost like a summary of everything that I've heard, you know, mm-hmm. over a long period of time. Yeah, sort of captured in eighty minutes, mm-hmm. um, and just and the and it wasn't directed at sport; it was actually just directed at life, you know, mm-hmm. and about the emotions that we feel as human beings. Um, but you know, being in sport where there's the you know the the, the emotions rise and fall so much, it was. It's actually really reassuring. It actually is just life, you know. Mm-hmm. Like people experience that in their lives as much as we experience it in sport. It's just that we're in the fishbowl doing it, you know, yeah. versus everyone else. Like we're the naked emperor, you yeah, know, yeah. so to speak. Um, and so, yeah, that's that, that's always kind of been my learning. The other the other thing I've done in recent times is we did we've done some sort of personality profiling, which was kind of three dimensional. It was wasn't just about. You're, you know, you're an introvert because yeah. I am naturally, um, but it was actually more about when I'm really good, what does it look like? When I'm really bad, what does it look like? And what actually drives that? And that, that provides some really fascinating insights for me personally, which sort of gave me a hit list of ideas that I could keep growing in terms of my leadership, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably the final thing I've really, and I had some young females that were working in my environment last year and it didn't really work out very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really forced me to think about Sometimes the same style doesn't work for everybody, um, and what, what can I learn to make their experience better? You know, and then get the best from them. And so, I actually, had the courage to go and seek some ideas from people who had been successful, and then she talked to the people who I hadn't done a good job, and have those courageous conversations, mm-hmm. you know, and um, not almost apologise, but say, "Oh, look." Because one of them's coming back this year, I said, "Well, what's success going to look like? For you? What would success look like for you this time around?" You know, and just I feel so much better for having done that, mm-hmm. and, and so does she. You know, yeah. Um, and so that was, and they're little wins, but they're big wins. You know, because what I did find out about um, the difference between the the male and the female, if you like, is that as males, when we when we want to impress, we work really hard, and that's how we build trust amongst each other. Whereas with a female, she wants to know that she really belongs and that you really believe in it, and then she'll do anything that you that you ask. Mm-hmm. And and that, that's where I got to with both of them. Like mm-hmm. they just it was a relationship first before being asked to do something, and um, it was almost me turning my process upside down yeah. you know, to some degree. And it took a bit more time, but like that, the benefits been immediate, you know. Um, and so yeah. And, and I've had some older women in for quite a while, but it's even made me think about that and yeah. and my, my how I work with them. And w- when they ask that, what are they actually asking? You know. Um, so again, again, it's just um, sometimes you get a bit old, and people say you've got a wisdom, but I think it's, it's more just that you've been through a lot, haven't you? And you've had those experiences, and you can you just become more relatable to others' yeah. needs, you know. And the fact that you're open to looking at those needs too, I think. Um, Especially, in, as I said, the cauldron where you're being watched and judged yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah but it's still hard to, um, you know, to, you know, I, it's 
can be difficult to to take an introspective look at yourself and, and mm. figure out a way to get better. Yeah. Um, but um, again, it's something that's synonymous with, with mm. everyone that seems to perform at a, at a high level. Um, what are you most proud of? You know, like there's some fantastic achievements we've talked about today, and mm. you know, is there something that you look back on and you know and say, "Gosh, I'm really proud that we did that," or that was um, something that stands out for you at all? I'm probably mostly, and, and not one specific, but there's been so many individuals where. Um, I feel I've had a degree of influence and they've become a better human being, you know, for it. Um, so Brian Lahore, when he was with us, coined the saying, better people make better All Blacks. And at that time we had a couple of players in lots of trouble and it was kind of like it, we got hammered for even thinking we could say that. But we, you know, I look at some people that who came from really had no chance, but their talent allowed them this opportunity and their past definitely influenced how they were to start with, but as they as they shifted and grew and 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 got different exposures and different perspectives, they became better, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if, I, if I give you one, like Sonny Bill, for example, you know, like when he came into rugby, I only knew what I'd read. And but I found one of the most generous, um, caring human beings I've probably ever met, you know. Um, and... But then there was another side to him that was really demanding of people to get him and his body right to play. And so being able to sort of massage those two, you know, knowing that he had that, but then also him understanding this impact he had. Um, you know, uh, Kevin Mialama would be one of the most special human beings. I've, and a really proud moment for me with him was he, um, after the, um, I think around 2.16, when New Zealand rugby sort of got put under the blowtorch around behaviour and the, on the back of the Chiefs incident and stuff, and we created um, four PO in terms of how we are as an organisation and what we want to be. And I didn't, I mean, it was just corporate speak for a start, you know, and it was something we had to do. But one day Kevin came and presented what how he saw those through his eyes to us as a staff and he, yeah, it just, I just sat there going, wow, like, you know, like, look at you, you know, this, I first met Kevin in 2000, he came away on a tour with New Zealand A and he hardly get boo out of Kev, you know, and here he was in front of, you know, 150 rugby staff talking from the heart about what those meant for him as a Pacific Island man in New Zealand and it was, you know, those are special moments, mm-hmm. you know, when you see that and gosh, he's such I've been ringing him recently over some stuff we're doing in South Auckland. It's almost like he makes you feel like it's a pleasure that you've rung him, you know? <laughs> I don't know how he does it, but <laughs> I feel so humbled to even talk to him, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it's just, I don't know. He's, he's got a he's got a mana about him that's, it's an aura, like an energy or, mm-hmm. it's and it's just so, It's he's always like that, you know? He's never <laughs> not been that way. But he can still, there's a hardness about him now which is good in that he can lead and you know, he can take people with him because there's humbleness that can be bad because it's actually, it's just escaping. Mm-hmm. But he's got a humbleness that actually helps, you know. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I really, yeah, I just, he's just one, he'd be one of anyone probably. Um, mm. His son, he was in a different way, but yeah, he was he was pretty pretty cool. Quite interesting that you say better people make better All Blacks, but you know, obviously, what you've been proud of is when being in the All Blacks has created better people as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think in that an environment like that, where you know, there's been some bad ones too. You know, like mm-hmm. some people have gone completely off the rails, and you feel like you've really um, gone really deep for them to help them in every sense, and they just keep 
letting you down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's sad, you know, like, yeah, and you, and I still, my mentality is still like, I feel like I've let them down, you know, but in the end, responsibility is yourself for yourself, isn't it? And yeah. um, you, you've got to let that go to some degree, but that, that, I guess that's how I'm wired, you know, like I, I always believe there's something good in everybody, you know, um, and I've always been prepared to give people a second chance, you know. Um, yeah, so I guess that's just how I am. Nice. And they, like, to, to finish up, is there, um, you know, what do you want to leave people with? If there's a, you know, a, a quote or some advice or, um, you know, a, a, you know, something that, you know, if you could if you could whisper into the ear of the world and, and tell them one thing that you think would make a difference for people, is there something that sort of stands out for you or that you learned or that, um, you know, has oh, really it's helped so hard. you? It's so hard. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah, I, I think the most common thing, that's resonated for me is um, know who you are, know what you stand for, know what you believe in um, because inevitably whatever you do, others will want you to be something else (laughs) and um, you've got to hold fast with who you really are and allow yourself to be, allow yourself to get better, you know, Uh, 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 give yourself those opportunities because, yeah, we've all got something good inside us. Yeah, we just got to. Sometimes it takes a bit more lifting of papers to find it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But uh, allow yourself to do that because uh, that, that's where the power, the real power, is in when you know yourself, you know. And because um, then you can you can be whatever you want to be. It's great advice, mate. I am so appreciative of your time, for your wisdom, for your insights you've shared um, openly. And um, you know, I, I know you've got a lot on. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for your time. And uh, thanks so much no, for doing this. No, I think it's been. Uh, I always enjoy sort of sharing, and um, when you give, you get. So it's uh, it's it's great to sort of unload some of the stuff that sits in your consciousness, or unconsciousness, probably. So yeah, thanks for the chance. You're a good man. Cheers, Cheers. man. Thanks so much. And there it is. Thank you so much for checking out another episode of the Road to Success podcast. And of course, a huge thank you to Darren as well for the time, man. He's just such a clever guy. He's, um, you know, the All Blacks have obviously had some tremendous success and it's no wonder when you, you look at the, the calibre of people they've got working in the background like Darren. And, um, you know, he's an incredibly clever guy. He's an incredibly nice guy. And I was very privileged and, and honoured to spend an hour and a half or so chatting with him today. And look, I hope there's something in there that you were able to take out and, um, and and put into use and practice and and look if, if there was something today that you took out of today's episode and my, my chat with Darren if you could do a couple of things that would just be to, to subscribe to the Road to Success podcast wherever you listen to your podcast and uh, and share it you know let someone know to go and check out the Road to Success podcast and, and check out this episode if, if this is one you, you've really enjoyed um, it would really mean the world to me I love getting to have these conversations I love getting to chat with people like Darren and the more the podcast grows the more I get to do so thank you again so much to Darren And thank you so much to you for listening. Love ya. See ya. Bye.